Kevin McGill here. I hope you're enjoying the Nicholas & Company Audiobook Adventures series. If you would like to get a free ebook version of Nicholas & Company, The Merman and the Moon Forgotten, go to nicholasandco.com, N-I-K-O-L-A-S-A-N-D-C-O.com. Also, if you would like to buy the audiobook version of the Nicholas & Company Audio Adventure series, go to wherever audiobooks are sold. This is the Nicholas and Company Audio Adventures. Chapter 8, A Rushed Reunion. Lions? Yuri grumbled to himself as he crawled out of the merway, which led to a bridge and a pool. What do they mean I have to get word to Nicholas Lyons? A steward of Huron nonetheless. I'm a driver, not a messenger. How did I get caught up in all this mess? This has gone too far. I must tell them that I need my horses, and I need to be on my way. All of Gromwell Village will be looking for me by this time. Yuri smacked his head a couple of times, trying to bang out the water, but it was hopeless. He climbed onto the large white bridge that turned out to be a whale's backbone, which spanned the breadth of the water. Where was he again? Oh right, the Duke's chambers, though it really wasn't a chamber at all, but a pool, the whalebone bridge being the only dry surface. Yuri's attention was caught by some kind of movement under the pool. There was strange sea creatures stirring underneath. They were a bit monstrous, a bit mysterious, and altogether fascinating. A pair of mermaids broke through the surface and grabbed two silver cords. Like a harpist's gentle stroke, they pulled the cords down until a platform emerged carrying two ornate thrones, the occupants being Lear and Nia. Yuri was about to say something, when he saw Lear's face buried in his right hand while gripping Nia's other hand. He could hear the merman's quiet sobs. I'm... I'm sorry. Was all Yuri could manage. Afraid we've lost many lives today, Nia said with a sad expression directed at her husband. First his brother, and then over half the sailors on the bridge. Oh dear, Yuri said. They didn't make it, Captain John? Many perished, Nia said, but Captain John survived. A group of black-robed murrows slowly rose out of the pool. One mermaid began to sing a lonely, quiet note. After a few verses, the rest of the singers accompanied her. Their words were in a language Yuri did not recognize. He did recognize the tone, however. The murrows mourned for their fallen. After they finished, Lear breathed, regained his composure, and sat up. Leave us now, Nia. Your mother is right. You're in no condition. I cannot leave you at this hour. Nia's hand was interlaced with Lear's. The headaches will pass. Forgive my rudeness, Yuri called out. What is all this business? I've been in the dark for far too long. What are these foul creatures? Who are the Dijinin? And what happened to your brother? As senior driver of Fungman, Zedek, and Josiah, I demand an explanation this very moment. If we were to tell you, 
Lear said. You would be put under the strictest of oaths, one that would require your very life. My very life? Yuri's tone quickly shifted from demand to farewell. Well then, I will be on my way. Very sad you've run into trouble, of course, but it's got nothing to do with me and my horses. Good day, your grace and... er... your graceness. Pain, deep and bottomless, filled Nia's eyes. Please, Yuri Wilro, do not leave us. You are the Murrow's only call for salvation. Our enemies mean to exploit our weakness, and will do so if none will speak for us. So, I... well... Yuri's heart turned doughy. He never could manage himself around a beautiful woman, even the half-aquatic sort. But he couldn't give in now to his weaker emotions. Every minute he stood on this whalebone platform was a minute closer to his doom. He felt it. The stagecoach driver collected the words up that would inform Nia he had to leave, no matter what. Nothing could be done. He had to just simply say, no. Yuri opened his mouth and chickened out. Well, I... Um, the Dijinin, are they from Huron? They are people from the Arus Isles. Nia removed a pinch of stardust from a satchel and flung it into the air. She whipped her fingers and an image of a brown-skinned man appeared. He had dreadlocks to his waist, thick facial features, and looked entirely unpleasant. I'm afraid we are the cause of their hatred for us, Nia continued. For over a thousand years, we enslaved their entire race, treated them no better than cattle, worse even. While it's been a long time since they gained their freedom under Huron's instruction, they've never forgiven us. They wish to bring us to our knees. Is it about your treasure? Yuri said. You have bits of treasure tucked here and there, as the old tavern toads tell it anyway. Yes. Nia's hand glided along the silicone armrest. Very observant, Yuri. It is about the treasure. It's always about the treasure. You are familiar with the Sumer, the most precious metal of earth and moon? Murus have been endowed with the gift of Sumer making. Nia rubbed her fingers, giving the universal sign for money. Three Sumers sparked into existence and clinked into her open palm. She flung them at Yuri's feet. I'll be. Yuri held up the Sumer, mouth agape. The coins were still hot from Nia's making. They felt rough and smooth, heavy and light, all at the same time. These three pieces would feed him and his mother for a month. Because every Muro is endowed with the power of Sulmer making, we are tasked with its protection and distribution, both here and on Earth. Muro fortresses patrol all coastlines, protecting the Sulmer banks, Leah and I were charged with the Inklian offshore accounts. They want your abilities of Sumer making? Not entirely. Our money is secondary. They want revenge. They mean to expose our... Nia stopped and looked to her husband, then back to Yuri. Tell me, Yuri, have you ever visited the fair city of Huron? Of course, ma'am. Uh, who hasn't? We go at least once a year. I have a fine map of its hanging on my bedroom ceiling. I know every burrow, alleyway, and byway. 
My father was born there. You know, Moon, rest his soul. Yuri paused. Anyway, yes, in short. Permit me one more question, Nia said. Are you a hero, Yuri? A hero? My lady. Yuri slipped the three Silmare into his knee breeches. Yes. Have you ever heroed? Well, um, er, uh, I mean, father thought I showed promise, but schooling was a trifle expensive. And there wasn't one to apprentice me. And now... Yuri rubbed a slightly bulging tummy. Afraid I'm not quite in condition for heroism. Would you like to be one? Agatha would like it. Agatha? Yes, Yuri said. Agatha is my sweetheart, but she won't marry me on the count of, well, <laughs> my belly, to be honest. She will marry nothing less than a hero, and Agatha made it quite clear that a hero does not have an amorphous midsection. Afraid I'm destined to live out my days with mother. I need a hero of high quality to take a message to the Huron City Council, Nia said. It must be someone who is not Muro. One whom the fowls cannot smell. Oh, well, honestly, ma'am, it being the holidays and all, and, er, my dear mum, I mean, forgive me. When you asked for my help, I imagined a ride free of charge or a lint horse. But all this, more than I can handle. Cromwell doesn't see too much in the way of adventure. Once, when I was no bigger than a leviathan's pimple, there was a scourge of three-headed chickens. It was a bit frightening at first. One head breathed fire, the other two breathed chicken feed and pond water. But it turned out when the first two heads spewed fiery chicken feed, the last one would put it out. Counterproductive in the end, really. Nia leaned in. Agatha, right? Well, Yuri, if you take this quest, you will trim up that hero's physique within a month. Truly? Truly. Yuri's gaze drifted off. He saw Agatha's flirtatious eyes flash across his view, and then those soft lips whispering the word, Marriage. Yuri clapped his hands. Always wanted to holiday in Huron, my lady. Nia smiled and reached out to her husband. Love, the greatest motivation. Lear squeezed her hand and immediately picked up a squid pin and scroll. Because our kind guards the treasure of the Brother Worlds, we carry a special citizenship under the city of Huron, and with it the protection afforded her citizens. The Muros are in need of that protection. Within this scroll is a secret to which only Muro are privy. Our enemies, the Dujinin, have discovered it and mean to exploit this secret. If we are exposed, it will destroy all Muro kind. I now entrust this secret to you and to the steward of Huron, Nicholas Lyons. He sits on the city council under the Rogan tree. In case the scroll is lost, I'm afraid we must divulge this secret to you also, so you may pass it on to the steward. On that, we must have full assurance you will not betray us, Yuri. Leary removed a large white pearl from a small satchel and handed them to the guard. The guard's automaton legs swiveled around, and he walked up the whalebone bridge and toward Yuri. Lear's voice dropped. This is a pearl of devotion, Yuri. It will rest 
itself in the lining of your stomach. If you betray our secret, this pearl will turn your skin to algae and your insides to seaweed. It will be a long, painful death, to be sure. The guard came within inches of Yuri's face. He looked down at the iridescent skin of the merman's fingers and the pearl of devotion that was to sit in the lining of his stomach. Something like a conscience reminded the stagecoach he was about to take another oath. Was this really a good idea? With a sigh, Yuri picked up the pearl. Big bugger, isn't it? If you are loyal to our kind, Lear said, then take, Yuri, and swallow. A bit of hard juice? Yuri asked the guard. Or maybe a swallow of horococo to wash it down? The guard's face remained stolid. Right, I see. Yuri nodded. With a sigh, he set the pearl of devotion between his molars, hoping it was chewable. It wasn't chewable. So, with watery eyes, Yuri swallowed. Now, Nia breathed in deeply, you may read the message. Yuri bit his bottom lip as he slowly unscrolled the seaweed parchment. To your honor, steward of the city of Huron and its surrounding provinces, Nicholas Lyons, this document contains the folly of the Murrows. Yuri began reading out loud. This secret is the shame of our kind. He choked on the next words. Here, here is the abominable truth, Stuart. Lions! My name is Nick Lyons, Nick answered the St. Mary's nurse drone sitting behind the front desk. Full name, please, the nurse drone said, tilting her plastic alloy head to emulate a person asking a question. That is my full name. Grant calls me Nicholas and so does Caroline Wendell too, I guess, but Nick is the name on the birth certificate. How may I help you? The nurse drone said. My mom and dad were drinking diet sodas and they got really, I don't know, sick or poisoned or... Eric and Sonia Lyons! Tim had just caught up. Your parents are in the disease and poison emergency wing. The nurse drone pressed a button. A Nick and Tim Lyons are here for Eric and Sonia Lyons. A female voice from the console answered. Send them to the waiting room. I have a few questions about their parents' files. Their biochemistry is off the charts. The voice walked off. The nurse drone pointed down the hall. Follow the signs to the disease and poison emergency waiting room. They took off running. The white plastic walls reflected their desperate sprint. A small white sphere with green scanning eyes floated next to them. It was an inoculodrone. Meta One records tell me, the inoculodrone paced with them, that Nick Lyons and Tim Lyons have not received their inoculation shots for 15 days. Remember that 40 new strands of cold and 5 new mutations of Geneva virus have appeared in only the last 48 hours. Please remain still as I administer the vaccine. Tim and Nick stopped and obediently put their arms out to the inoculodrone. There are two places on the planet you never want to be without your inoculations, the refugee camps and the hospital. 
The Inocu drone was cycling through its third and last shot when Nick heard a voice come from around the corner. Receiving a new transmission from Meadow One, Nick. Came a motherly digital voice. It was a nanny drone. Another replacement, Nick said, turning on his heels. The nanny drone sped up with the needle pointed at him. You are to receive the neural inhibitor R5235, Nick. Nick jumped back and barely missed the lance. R5235 is designed to suppress all aggression, Nick. The nanny drone aimed its needle at Nick's stomach and thrust again. Nick sidestepped quickly, looked to the two inocudrones and commanded, Inocudrones, the nanny drone has been contaminated with, uh, the Black Plague. You have to stop it from spreading. The inocudrones immediately swiveled to the nanny drone and replaced their needles with blasters. Must eliminate all biological threats, the inocudrones said in unison. Must eliminate all biological threats. The nanny drone turned, flipping its needle with its own blaster, but it was too late. The inocudrones fired. Red bursts of light smashed the nanny drone to the wall. The sound of blasters reverberated throughout the hallway, causing nearby drones to pivot in their direction. Come on! Nick tore into another run. Tim tried to keep up with his brother. What just happened? They charged through the sliding doors and were met by a packed waiting room divided into refugees and suburbanites. One side wore tattered, mismatched clothes, while the other wore the week's hottest fashions. Though their clothes were different, their expressions remained the same. Fear. Among the suburbanites was a mother wearing a Robin's Little League t-shirt and matching hat and holding her three-year-old daughter. The mother covered her mouth, crying bitterly as a doctor spoke under hushed breath. Nick couldn't hear what the doctor was saying, but he could guess. The mother and the child left with the doctor, opening up two seats for the brothers. What's happening? Tim said as he plopped down next to an old snoring hoverbus driver. I don't know, Nick shrugged. So, if it's not the Geneva virus, what is it? Tim said. I don't know. Where's Grand? Tim said. Nick sighed. I don't know. They waited for what seemed like an hour. Just when Nick was about to doze off, he heard the cautious tone of an inocudrone. Please, Mr. Lyons, you cannot go any further until I take a reading. My grandsons, where are they? Came a Scottish accent. Nick stood to his feet. I am collecting some very disturbing vitals, the inocudrone said. My grandsons, the Scottish voice bellowed. Everyone's gaze shifted to the voice on the other side of the emergency room doors. Mr. Lyons, the inocudrone said. Not only are you 620 days overdue for your inoculation shots, I am detecting 15 viruses, one of them predating the Iron Age, 12 forms of bacteria from only on the other side of the moon, and a form of metal that cannot be found on the periodic table whatsoever. I am processing the necessary vaccines now. Wait one moment, please. I would be pleased, Hubcap, the Scottish voice said, if you took three paces in the opposite direction. I will need to administer 13 different vaccines, the inocudrone announced. Five through the arm, seven through the nose, and one... Came the sound of an exploding inocudrone. Grand, the brothers said jumping to their feet. The door slid open, revealing a shower of sparks and a swarthy-looking man. 
Their grandfather stood like some Viking out of time, with his white and yellow marbled beard. He wore a green trench coat, plastered in dirt. After three steps, he pulled the brothers into a hug that smelled like sweat and hover truck. Nick returned the hug. Tim stiffened. My boys, Grand said. Wait a second, Tim raised his hands. You never come down here. I thought an evil shadow covered the face of the earth or something. Nicholas, Grand grabbed Nick by the shoulders. I finally cracked Ludwig's puzzle. It was buried under Machu Picchu of all places. The Murrows are under attack. Huron needs you. Huron? How do you know about the voice? Nick said. Well, Grand's head tilted. Yes, it's Moonside. Well, not the moon you know. Though, you don't really call it moon. Nick hated to tell Grand this, but he was babbling again. His grandfather was his most favorite person in the world, but he had a tendency to talk scattered. He just had to go along for the ride. Moonside? Tim said. Wait, what's a murrow? You know, the Fash people. They've been attacked by the Dujin and, and they call for Nicholas's aid. Mermaids? Tim shook his head. Grand? There's no such thing as mer- There's a good deal I need to explain, Grand said with his hand up. But now is not the time. First, I'm to fetch your parents, Eric and Sonia. Where are they? They're in there, Nick pointed to the epidemic ward. One moment they were talking and the next, Dad couldn't breathe and turned all purple death. Grand looked to the door with a sign clearly marked, Disease and Poison Ward. No admittance beyond this point without clearance. He tried to pry the door open. It beeped a warning but wouldn't budge. Then something very strange happened. Grand's eyes lost their hue and turned blue while waves of blue misted from his fingertips. Grand? Nick took a step back. Their grandfather's fingers formed a hollow circle and he plunged them into the crack of the door. It rolled apart like paper. Skookas, trackers, how could it be, Huron? Grand mumbled to himself. He looked down to Nick, then back through the gap. It's time to be leaving, boys. Um, Grand? Nick said. Why are you all blue and misty? It's my Jainus. Now, let's go. Iron-like hands seized their shoulders and shifted the boys away. He mumbled something about my scent as they marched out of the hospital. In the truck, don't dawdle, their grandfather commanded. In the hover truck's nose was buried a mulberry bush. Clearly ignoring the parking pads, both boys tumbled into the cab and were met with the smell of more pipe smoke and truck sweat. Before they could manage their harnesses, the hover truck rocketed upward in complete defiance of all commercial airway regulations. They sped through a pair of hollow signs that read, Beauty and the Botox, when nature has been beastly to you. And, Mind transplants. Don't die. Download. Nick glanced quickly at St. Mary's. He half expected a fleet of police drones on their tail, but there were only a couple of mangy dogs tearing across the lawn. Or were they horses? What's going on? Tim said, just as they broke through the clouds. Waiting. No use waiting at the hospital, Grand said. For what? Tim said. Grand squeezed the steering wheel. For your parents. Nick looked sideways to his grandfather. His crinkled brow spoke worry, even fear. 
He began bobbling his head. I'm coming, my love. I'm coming. Uh-oh, Nick thought. Here he goes again with that mumble talk. Grand would often carry on full conversations with himself. It was one of his many eccentricities. I'm coming. It will just be a little longer. A few setbacks. Gotta break the tracker scent. But I'm coming. I'm coming. Huron, we must not allow the murrows to perish. We will save the murrows. We will bring us to Kevin McGill here. I hope you're enjoying the Nicholas and Company audiobook adventures series. If you would like to get a free ebook version of Nicholas and Company, The Merman and the Moon Forgotten, go to nicholasandco.com, N I K O L A S A N D C O.com. Also, if you would like to buy the audiobook version of the Nicholas and Company audio adventure series, Go to wherever audiobooks are sold.